Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, October the 15th, and we gather this next hour around the inspired and true Word of God, and today we are changing it up a bit. We started Leviticus with Dr. John Kleinig, who is the, the writer of the commentary, Concordia Commentary on Leviticus, for him to do a broad overview so we could start off on the right foot, covering the main ideas, the main themes. But since we've gone through it all, what a rich time it has been to see the grace of God found in this blessed book. And since we got to the end, I was like, you know what? I want to make sure, if you're anything like me, that we can go back and review what we just did. And so that's why today we are going to have a broad overview, a review of what we've learned over literally the last month. So today, not only do we see what we've read through, but also we once again see Christ. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information on their great work around the world, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome with us Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton of St. John Lutheran Church in Forest Park, Illinois. Pastor Payton, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you so much. Very good to be with you. Pastor, this is your first time with us here on Thy Strong Word. So can you spend a few minutes introducing yourself, your beloved family, and the work of the saints at St. John? Yeah, well, I've been at St. John Forest Park now for um, 11 and a half years, but before that was in a parish, in a rural parish in Wisconsin, and at, at which point uh, you and I, and uh, we, we were together in a, a PALS cohort, post-seminary applied learning and support, uh, our synod uh, program to help pastors as we come out of seminary, pastors and their wives. Uh, so my wife, Lori, and your wife, Amy, uh, benefited from that as well. And uh, interestingly enough, now Lori and I are the uh, PALS coordinators here in the Northern Illinois District. Um, St. Uh, John um, is an, it's an urban parish. We are a mile and a half south of Concordia University, Chicago, and we are just a 10-minute walk from the end of the blue line and the green line, both, and, um, and a metro stop. So it's a great location, uh, but like, uh, like urban parishes, it's it, carries with it a lot of challenges. Urban life does. Urban life is, is uh, complex and paradoxically, even though the density of population is high, uh, people are really quite isolated and, and hard to get to, actually, even mm -hmm. though they're uh, very uh, close. So it's an interesting place to be uh, in ministry. Um, uh, Lori and I, uh, we have our four grown children. Uh, three of them are married, and they're scattered all over the country. Uh, and we have nine grandchildren and a, a tenth coming here this week. So oh, nice. uh, life's good. We're, we're very pleased. Well, Pastor, as we look at this, it, it does bring back a good memory when you bring up PALS, because we would go to PALS in the South Wisconsin District, and we would go to Camp Luisimo. 
And we would stay mm-hmm. at Louis Samoa. This is a fun story to tell is that uh, Pastor Peyton is, is a wonderful piano player. And so a few of us, uh, specifically our, our leader, David Groth, would kind of say, okay, Leonard, can you play this hymn? And then we would kind of keep asking you to play. And is like this kind of piano that was out of, out, that didn't work in 1970. And yet we were asking you to play it in 2007. Um, and so <laughs> you're pounding away on this thing. And it was almost th- therapeutic for all of us because we could just sit back and you would play and we would sing the hymns, the richness of the hymns. So that's one of my fondest memories of that time is you blaring away on this very old piano. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> I do remember it well. And, and our, our uh, pal leader, Pastor David Groth, um, he, he just loved hymns in the hymnal. And, and so he kept me up till probably one in the morning that first time we did that. He just kept turning the page. How about this one? And yeah, it was was lovely. What a, what a blessing that was. And so Mm -hmm. as we know that, that our time there was around the word of God and that is true for us today as well. So pastor, as we Mm -hmm. turn our eyes back to Jesus in Leviticus, can you begin our time Mm -hmm. in prayer? Yeah. Merciful Father, um, in your wisdom, you have caused all holy scriptures, uh, including this rather odd book of Leviticus, to be written for our learning. And so we we trust even that as you have blessed us with it, that we might read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it, and in so doing, uh, find Jesus and uh, life. And so we pray even now as we review this book that you would give us um, eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, one last time, if you have any questions concerning the book of Leviticus, it can be a small detail to major themes, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. We might address it on a future program here on Thy Strong Word, or we might just send you an email personally. And that's one of the great joys for us is that Leviticus is very complex, but the themes are always pointing us to Christ. So, Pastor, I want to start this way. When we started this book, Pastor John, Dr. Kleinig, um, I asked him the question, why study this weird book? And he went down mm-hmm. the list of, of the importance of holiness and the importance of, 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 of Christ and the whole all of Scripture being inspired and inerrant. And, and for me, I ask, I ask this question as we've gone through the whole book, is why is it important for us as Christians to read Leviticus? What are, why is it so important, even though we've talked about Jesus has fulfilled much of it, um, that it's a book of just a lot of details, but yet we still think it's important. That's why we studied it. So why would it be important for a Christian to read Leviticus today? Well, let me, let me attempt a couple of answers. The first one <laughs> is that when you look at the whole Bible cover to cover, um, the goal is the wedding feast. And so the whole Bible is really a love letter uh, wooing the bride to the wedding feast. And it, it's written to, 
to a, collect, a collection of many, many people all together that form that bride from many cultures over uh, many, many centuries. And, and so, you know, turning the page again and see, and seeing I love you, and then you turn to page two, I love you, and you turn to page 999, I love you, page 1200, I love you. Well, you, you really need a richer way of saying that. Um, and, and, you know, you and Amy have been married many years, and, and Lori and I, we were, gosh, it's 42 now. We're coming up, yeah, it's 42. So, you know, in, in that amount of time, you have to find many ways to say, I love you. And that's why it's worth, it, it's worth reading uh, over and over again, because you get out old love letters. I, you know, I'm, I'm betraying my age here. This is the way those of us who are over the age of 60 are. We used to write letters. <laughs> and we hold on to letters. <laughs> so, so really, I think if you bear in mind that the whole thing is a is a giant love letter, well, you read love letters over and over. Um, that's that would be um, a first pass at that. Second one uh, really comes from the book of uh, Hebrews, and that is that the latter. That the law is but a shout of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Um, you know, I don't think I, I'm, I'm going to unpack that here in a moment. I don't think, however, that you can understand uh, the book of Leviticus without understanding the book of Hebrews. Mm. And at the same time, you can't understand the book of Hebrews without understanding the book of Leviticus. Um they, they re, um, Leviticus is the black and white picture. Hebrews is the color picture. Leviticus is um, uh, is two dimensional. Uh, Hebrews is three dimensional. Um, Leviticus is the the still picture, and Hebrews is the moving picture. But they're they're really the same content, and they are uh, centered around uh, the Day of Atonement, which in Leviticus is in chapter 16, and then in Hebrews is in, in chapter 9. Mm. But this point about uh, the law uh, uh, being but a shadow of the good things to come, as the book of Hebrews says, really of, of the entire law, but, but, but really the focus is on Leviticus, uh, because the language of Leviticus is so central to the language of Hebrews. Shadows are really important. Shadows are, they, they give credence because they show you that the thing, that the, 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 thing, the, the thing that's casting the shadow is real. Mm. It, it's not imaginary. It's not a ghost. It's not a, it's not a fantasy. It's real. And so shadows have a, 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 an important function in certifying things. And so uh, the book of Leviticus, even though so much of it is so peculiar and obscure and foreign, um, the, the longer you live with it and, and, and play with it, the more you find it um, giving insight to, well, in particular, the book of Hebrews. So in the book of Leviticus, what we have is a, a group of priests, and they are performing sacrifices. 
And of course, the the central sacrifice is that one in in chapter sixteen, the, the Day of Atonement. When you come to Hebrews, uh, you find that you, you have an awful lot about the priest, and that would be Jesus, and then an awful lot about the sacrifices, and that all gets rolled into the body of Jesus. You know, um, in the three-year lectionary, I think it was about two or three weeks ago, we were in uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and Hebrews chapter 2 tells us why the incarnation is important. Uh, John chapter 1 tells us that the word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. And uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2 tells us that in the body of Jesus uh, dwells the fullness of deity, uh, which is, a, of course, a, a lofty theological truth. But why should that matter? Uh, and it's in Hebrews chapter 2 that we find why that matters for us, and which then makes it completely a gospel thing. And that is that um, that, that he took on flesh and blood uh, that to, to rescue those who through uh, fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so he had to become like his brothers in every way. He had to, had to take on this body uh, so that he could become a merciful and, and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so right there, we're into the language of Leviticus all the way, that uh, that, that Jesus uh, is a high priest um, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So the law, uh, uh, the Levitical law then, standing, gosh, 1,400 years before the writing of Hebrews, uh, sets all of this up. And then when we get into Hebrews, we find that uh, the writers of Hebrews admits the existential frustration that anyone would have had trying to follow the law of Leviticus. And that is that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so you just have to do this thing over and over. Oh, I messed up again. Oh, I see. <laughs> Got to slaughter another steer. Oh, well, here it goes. Um, just very, very frustrating. But in the Hebrews, you, you find that the, the, the body that takes away uh, sin is, is actually Jesus' body. Um, and and uh, the writer to the Hebrews quotes Psalm 40, which is the voice of Jesus. Uh, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body uh, you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. And then I said, and this is Jesus speaking, uh, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So so I think those are two very strong reasons to uh, read the book of Leviticus. I have to admit, um, there are parts of Leviticus that for me, uh, as I have read them over the years, it's a little bit like a buzzsaw hitting nails. Um, <laughs> a little bit like reading the first nine chapters of First Chronicles. Yes. 
Absolutely. Uh, but um, in recent years, it, it, uh, it has become so much more vivid and compelling. And, uh, and, and I don't drop off now as I read it. I, I, it's a page turner for me, surprisingly. Now, a few thoughts I have here, as you're saying that, mm-hmm. uh, Pastor, is is that reality of how you describe your love for your bride changes um, throughout mm-hmm. your life. And I, and I really mm-hmm. appreciate because you do see that common thread, God is love, um, on account mm-hmm. of Christ, of course, as we look at this, the the... The cross is is right in the heart of this, from Genesis to the to the end and to Revelation, and continues today. So you're able to see it through that lens. It's a wonderful revelation. And at the same time, there's that understanding. We've had at least two or three pastors talk about Leviticus bringing clarity to Hebrews, and Hebrews bringing clarity to Leviticus, and and as it may be, I I, I don't I can't admit that this was actually incredibly intentional, but we did study Hebrews before we came to Leviticus. Um, mm. I think I, I think I had the thought process, but it definitely was one of those, as we've gone through Leviticus, I'm like, oh, thanks be to God, he led me to, <laughs> to do Hebrews first, um, because mm-hmm. it did bring to light a few important themes. One of the themes was the idea of comfort and rest. So it, mm-hmm. it kind of comes down to this. When in Hebrews, it talks about how the high priest still needed to do a sacrifice for himself, but now Mm -hmm. Jesus, the great high priest, does not need to make a sacrifice for himself. He makes a sacrifice fully for you, and it brings me back always to the problem I see in Leviticus, is Leviticus 10, where Nadab and Abihu Mm -hmm. don't do it quite right, and they're destroyed. And right. even though you have the Day of Atonement, which was a merciful event to say, this is for the sins of all the people, all the sins, right here, all the assurance, you are still left with the question, okay, so how do I know I'm not going to be like Nadab and Abihu? In my feeling mm-hmm. as I read through. And so it mm-hmm. really brings that understanding to fullness where the blood of goats will not you know, bring a clear conscience before the Lord. It has to be God himself. And that really mm-hmm. is helpful how you broke that down because you're left with that uncomfortable feeling. But when Hebrews is brought in before or after, maybe we should go back to Hebrews after we're done with this, is mm-hmm. that fullness of the assurance that Jesus has paid it all. Those are some of my mm-hmm. first thoughts. You Anything you want to piggyback on? Well, you mentioned entering the rest. Yeah. And, and that's mm-hmm. a, that's, that's in the background behind Leviticus, because Leviticus was written um, right after the, the tabernacle was completed, but before the, the, the actual wanderings began. <clears throat> so we finished Leviticus. Let me see if I can find it. I think it's the very last verse. Um, yeah, verse 34 of chapter 27. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. So, so when you begin numbers and the camps pull out, you know, the, the trumpets blow and the camp on the east takes off first, you know, led by the people of Judah and then the, the next camp and then the tabernacle pulls up. They're supposed to be on their way to the land of rest mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to happen. Um, 
And I think that this bit with Nadab and Abihu in chapter 10 is, is almost a kind of a foreshadowing that, uh, that, that, that people are, that the holiness matter is going to come up in a big way uh, in numbers where, where the people grumble, which ultimately is a violation of the first commandment. And then uh, later on, this fall into full-on uh, sexual sin with the Midianites. So yeah, this this rest business is is an important theme that lurks behind Leviticus. And it isn't restful that you've got to keep slaughtering all these animals. But that goes right back to Genesis chapter three. That Adam and Eve were naked and God clothed them. Well, how did he do it? He killed some poor animal and spread it out over them. Yeah. It's just, it, sometimes it's exhausting to read these, these sacrifices. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this too. When you read through everything, you'll, especially the first six, seven chapters, where there's mm-hmm. all these offerings and you have mm-hmm. uh, the priest and the busyness of the priests, and you think about the Christian life now where we are we are we are constantly needed to do things, whether you're a pastor or you're serving in your vocations, and the busyness that can overcome us sometimes um, sometimes we're just busy because we want to be busy and sometimes it's because that's just what what is in front of us is the craziness mm-hmm. of the busyness of trying to be holy. So I want to mm-hmm. kind of jump onto that because that's where Dr. Kleinig started our whole time is he said mm-hmm. the central theme is from chapter 19. Um, he says, speak to the congregation, uh, excuse me, chapter 19, verse 2. Speak to all the congregation yeah. of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And that was mm-hmm. that's something that we have had a theme throughout the whole book. So, Pastor, what are your thoughts on that as you look at all of Leviticus and the pursuit of holiness, knowing our Lord is holiness? Uh, is holy, excuse me. Uh, how would you jump on that as you look at the whole book? Okay. Um, let me start from the incident with Nadab and Abihu, and then we'll work up um, to a broader picture. Uh, Nadab and Abihu uh, were functioning as priests, and they thought they were, and they thought, hey, this would be cool, and so they did something. They they're, there was this sense of, um, uh, I, you know, this can be elaborate. It will be better if I add to it, if I do this, that, and the other besides. And discovered, well, no, they discovered rather quickly that's not the case. What happened was a violation of holiness right there. The Lord had given them very, very clear instructions as to what to do. So, what is holiness? Well, holiness, as it turns out, is rather uh, hard to define. And if we did, we if, if we were able to define it satisfactorily to our reasoning, um, we would be violating the first commandment. We would be um, omniscient, which we aren't. So. Uh, so this goes back even to that idea of looking at shadows. So we, we piece together holiness by looking at shadows. Uh, indeed, the Lord uh, covered Moses as he went by, so he couldn't look on him directly. Holiness 
is simply God's essence. It's who he is. And to the extent that the cosmos complies and is um, in, in agreement with and, and congruent to that in some way or another, it's holy. And to the extent that it, it deviates, it's unholy. So, for example, let me give you a good example here. In, uh, in, in 1 John, uh, and Athanasius of Alexandria was all over this in his uh, refutation of Arius. Uh, if God is love, at which we as Christians confess, um, to love, it, love is a transitive verb. You have to have a beloved. So if God is love and God doesn't change, then there has always been a beloved. So you, you don't know from that the Trinity, but you know that God is somehow uh, at least two persons. <clears throat> and love, uh, especially in the New Testament, is this word that's so useful that, that uh, really talks about doing what is good for the other person. Um, and, and so that's built into God. And really, so much of this holiness code is really about love. It's about doing what's good uh, for the other uh, person. Uh, even and, and, and indeed, this is uh, this is what's built into that probably most um, conflicted, modernly conflicted region of Leviticus chapters eighteen and twenty that talk about uh, sexual sins. Um, love is not doing what pleases me or makes me feel good. Love is about doing the thing that is good for you and all my neighbors. And so what we do with our bodies, in particular uh, sexually, is integral to that. If I, if I go back to an idea that I said earlier, the, the whole business of the, the trajectory of the whole book being a wedding feast mm. uh, from a uh, 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 from all nations, from all tribes and peoples and languages, and, and it's a, a numberless multitude. Well, gee, that means, therefore, that there had to be an awful lot of sex to get those people to that multitude. Um, but there are ways that that happens that help people get there, and there are ways that that happens that are, are injurious. And certainly in our time, uh, we've run into... Uh, a lot of that. I, I was interested um, uh, looking back at chapter 20 of Leviticus, uh, right up front, there's this prohibition of, of Molech uh, mm -hmm. worship. Well, Molech was a god that you, you offered your children to so that life would go better. And uh, I'm, I'm struck by uh, how that has become legally systematized in, in our country, it's just a very sad thing that we have this Moloch worship going on. Where were we? I don't know. Um, well, Pastor, let's do this. Mm -hmm. You were getting on the theme of love, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and I want to piggyback onto that because, like, you, I, to me, the the linchpin to all of this is the Nabab and Abihu reality. 
of, okay, mm-hmm. how does a loving God then therefore react when his beloved people are not acting correctly? And that goes into exactly what you're just saying, 18 and 20, uh, morality, uh, uh, looking at the Lord. But right now, let's take a break and piggyback onto that. We are reviewing Leviticus, the whole book, with Pastor Leonard Payton, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are reviewing the whole book of Leviticus. And as Pastor Peyton has has said so well for us, that it literally is a love letter from the Lord to his people, showering holiness upon us because we are not holy and he is. And and Pastor, I wanted to really think about it and think about this. And I want your thoughts because you really brought to the forefront the need for holiness and we can look at this and go, oh, my goodness. Because if you look at all the, the, the sexual immorality laws, you know, that mm-hmm. evidently there's a problem among families and, and their immoral behavior. There was a child sacrifice to Moloch. Uh, there were other various, you know, activities that were happening um, that really just kind of makes your hair curl. And, and for us, it really comes down to seeing, if you see it in context, with Nadab and Abihu, we don't want that to happen again. So all these laws, one, show us, okay, this is the boundaries, but also it's done out of love because the Lord wants us to be with him. As it tells us in the New Testament, he wants all to be saved. He wants all to be part of his holiness. And so really Mm -hmm. one of the striking things for me was to be able to see all these laws and these offerings given to us out of love because he wants his people to share in this holiness. He wants his people to be with him. Any, any thoughts, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, the prophet Ezekiel has language from Leviticus just woven throughout his book as well. Hmm. And, uh, it's Ezekiel that tells us that God doesn't desire the death of a sinner, but that all, uh, the sinner would repent and, and live. So, yeah, that's true. That is exactly what um, these laws are about. And, you know, we understand this from natural law. I mean, uh, let's just start with the law of gravity. God is the author of that law. And we all know the law of gravity, and we believe it. If, If I jump off the bridge, I will splatter in the pavement below. We know that. And uh, God's moral law is really the same kind of law. It's not, uh, it, it, it's not put there uh, to, to, to rob you of, of your joy and your, your pleasure. That's not what it's for. Um, all of this, and, and this goes back to what I was saying even about holiness and congruence to God. It's, it's just simply, this is the way it is. 
it's not mean-spirited. God, God put this out uh, for its boundary value. And, and indeed, the, all of this uh, ceremonial law, uh, again, to St. Paul's point in Galatians chapter 3, uh, uh, chapter 4, that, or chapter 3, that, that the law was a schoolmaster or a teacher or a tutor uh, to lead us to Christ. Well, gosh, is there anything better than having life in Christ? There isn't. So if this is the kind of training that you need, well, good, let's have it. Um, so so th- that's what it would have been, really, for a person in, uh, you know, 1100 B.C. and 800 B.C. in the time of Ezekiel. But now uh, we, uh, we have the substance. We no longer have, we can see the shadow by reading Leviticus, but we have the real thing. We have the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus and Jesus as our high priest at the right hand of God. Now, Pastor, I want to ask this question is when I was at seminary and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of times, especially when you're 24, 25 years old, and you're sitting among this guy named Dr. Dr. So-and-so. And we were sitting in fourth-year class, and he asked us, okay, all right, gentlemen, let's look at Leviticus. So we kind of look through the main themes and everything we've gone through here. And then he asked, so why do we no longer do the grain offering, do the peace offering, have the Day of Atonement, get out the male goats, get out the turtle doves if you're poor? All, I mean, he went down the whole list. And at that point, we're all terrified to get the answer wrong. Because you're at that point when you're like, oh, I'm going to be a pastor soon. I don't want to get this wrong. At that point, we were kind of flabbergasted on what to say. Not to say we didn't know the answer. We were scared. Pastor, why? So answer that question for us. This is something I think a lot of the, our, you, our listeners, will deal with. Someone will say, hey, I see these laws in Leviticus. You're not following them. But yet you want to mm-hmm. use it as a club against us. What would what okay. would you say to somebody? You know, where it's like, okay, why don't we follow this, and how do we look at it faithfully as Christian people? Sure. So so uh, so why uh, why uh, why not um, slaughter uh, bulls and uh, calves and goats and yeah and lambs? Why not do that now? And. Uh, and the, the the first answer to that is really the answer to every Sunday school question, <laughs> and that is Jesus, right? John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God. This is it. This is the guy who takes away the sin of the world. And uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 make that point very clearly, too. So so that's the first part of the answer. I, I think that your question is going after, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, mm-hmm. well, what about those parts of Leviticus that are, hmm, it, 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 okay, let me, let me phrase it this way. Is all of Leviticus complete now and therefore not binding? Yeah, is, that's the question. Is that a little bit what you could, Right. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, uh, what about say um, the, the 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 sexual purity laws? Are those not binding now? 
Uh, and and the importance of those questions is, uh, do we do we see those going into the New Testament in some way? And the answer is, well, yeah, we do. We see those very clearly going into the New Testament. And, and so the the prohibitions of things like adultery and and same sex uh, uh, relationships. So those 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 are not ceremonial laws that were completed with the death of Christ. Christ died to fulfill the law. All of our sins, those of us who uh, who uh, who were greedy or gossipers or swindlers or uh, you name it, uh, he died to be the propitiation for all of those sins. And so in that sense, uh, he has fulfilled the law. But that doesn't mean that the law now has defined away from sin being sin. There are sins that are still sins. And a lot of them are listed there in Leviticus, in particular in chapters 18, 19, uh, and 20. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's still wrong to give your child to Molech. It's still wrong. That, that's not, that was not a ceremonially uh, prohibited law. And, and as for things like uh, uh, the prohibition of eating lizard gizzards, you know, uh, that seems to have been um, a religious practice of the peoples around Israel. And so that principle still obtains for us, even though, um, you know, I could eat fried lizard gizzard and not have any qualms of conscience. If, however, I noticed that there was an entire religious movement uh, and, and half the people on my street were members of it, and it was a false religion, and part of their practice was you eat lizard gizzards, uh, then I would need to stop doing that for exactly that reason. It's because I would not need to, I, I would need to be distancing myself from the worship of a false god. So what I'm, what I'm hearing here, and I've, I've experienced this this whole time, if we were to have Leviticus without Hebrews, obviously, to have Leviticus without the cross, seeing it as a fulfillment of vast mm-hmm. majority of this book, it leads you to um, exhaustion, <laughs> frustration, yeah. and yeah. A, 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 a very seared conscience because yeah. you always feel like you have to do more. But then at the same time, I feel like we will live in our world today, sometimes by laws that are very clearly in Scripture and some that we've made up ourselves. And we have right. that seared conscience. And so I'm, I'm trying to think of this, and as a pastor— do you see Leviticus as something that would bring people a comforted conscience? Or is it something that would just make things more, more seared or more uncomfortable because we are not seen in the right way? I'm trying to think of how to ask this question because I see Leviticus yeah. as bringing clarity to a lot of this, but I think sometimes we don't quite see it. So I'm struggling how to ask that question, but something along those lines of the role of Leviticus in the care of souls. Sure. Well, um, I, I think I'd go right to the Day of Atonement in chapter 16. Um, and what you see there is that, is that the priest 
is, is ordained and established to remove your sins. It's not something that you can do for yourself. Someone else has to do that. So right there, already you're pointing at a function of grace that, that there's, there's nothing you can do to undo the sin that you've committed. There's nothing you can do to atone for it on your own. Uh, you're going to need a priest who has access to God. And in chapter 16 of Leviticus, there, there are rigorous details about the priest's uh, readiness exercises for this function. And, and so he goes in before, and, and he's really taking the sins of the whole people with him as he goes into the, the holiest place that one day a year. I, I, I think that that would be the way to work it. Uh, again, I just don't think it's good to read Leviticus apart from reading Hebrews. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I think it is an exercise in frustration. And, and furthermore, um, as I read the rest of the Old Testament, it's striking, in particular by the time you get down to the time of uh, Hezekiah, uh, king of Judah, and, and, and Josiah, and you realize, oh my, uh, these people haven't been doing, they've not, they've not been keeping these laws. And, and, and Jeremiah even says it, you know, it's why they have, a 70 years exile in Babylon. Those laws were so demanding and the people just decided, no, we're not going to do it. It, it was overwhelming to them and missed the whole point that it was to, uh, to lead them to Christ. And so for us now, give me some more encouragement for the Christian to be able to take from Leviticus what we can in light of all the, uh, what are good things for us to take away that we would say are still binding for us today? Do you have any examples of that? Sure. Um, it, it, again, if you remember that the, the whole goal of this whole book is to get you to the wedding feast. Um, Well, that's what's what's packed into these uh, sexual relations chapters even. You know, they they sound so prohibitive. You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this, you don't do that. Uh, When in fact, it's all of it designed uh, to to help them be fruitful and multiply and to, to see more joyous people at that great wedding feast from all nations and tribes and peoples and languages and tongues. So it, it isn't, those laws aren't really, they're not mean-spirited. They're there uh, for our good. And, and you understand this as a parent, too. When you, when you tell your child, uh, don't touch that burner on the stove. Well, the burner isn't there to make the child's life miserable, the burner's there for you to cook some really good food for the child. And, and that's what these laws are about. They're, they're not our righteousness. They're about the life that's good within the cosmos as our Lord has designed it. So as you look at 
a few other thoughts I had was in in chapter twenty, it talks mm-hmm. about the sexuality um, realities, and then it talks about not going to a medium or necromancer. You have mm-hmm. other parts that clearly points us away. Example that you made, like for example, marking of their body, um, which would be mm-hmm. you know we long discussions of of tattoos and so forth. Obviously, sexuality mm-hmm. laws, uh, uh, what you will eat laws, um, those kind of uh, things definitely kind of bring us to a reality today where this is still good. One of the main mm-hmm. one being love your neighbor as yourself was a very yeah. strong, um, strong message right in the heart of Leviticus as well. So those mm-hmm. ones really struck struck out to me, stuck out to me of, okay, that there's still a lot of practical realities of this, which is why we don't want to just throw it out. It's too easy mm-hmm. to be able to do that. It's not Jesus fulfilled all that. Let's be done. You know, I'm going to have my shrimp and my, my, uh, my hot dog too kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. that's something I, I really do think is important for us as we look at Leviticus is to not dismiss it. And also, like you said, it becomes a page turner as you dig into it more when you mm-hmm. have in light of Hebrews. Now, mm-hmm. Pastor, we get to the end of Leviticus 27 and so, and it ends just kind of uniquely. And you and I talked quite a little bit about the ending, chapters 26 and 27, and, and what he's getting mm-hmm. to, because he just there's more laws here. So any thoughts on the last few chapters that kind of gets us to this end review? Yeah, uh, chapter 27 to me is, a, is about vows. And, and, and I think what you're looking at there is, is um, first of all, vows are voluntary. They are not compelled. And they are to be taken um, solemnly so that you do actually fulfill them. Uh, but they also... Uh, provide for the functioning. They, they actually provide the working capital of the, the, the sanctuary. And, um, and, and and so this this actually dissipates some of the energy of of, 20, of chapter twenty six, which which uh, listed blessings for for um, obeying all these laws, but then an awful lot of very heavy punishments for uh, failing to do so. And, and so I think that chapter 27, in a sense, is, has some of this, you know, you've got enough to worry about here. Don't feel like you have to do all these other things as well. Um, I, you know, the Lord designed life for his people whom he rescued from Egypt in a way that they would all have enough. No one would become so rich that they would forget the Lord and and not worship him. And conversely, no one would become so poor that they would steal and dishonor his name. Um, the, the, there was such a thing as private property, sort of, but the whole land belonged to the Lord. Mm. So it was lent to, uh, to them. Yeah. It's why the... Um, the field markers, the landmarks were not to be moved. Uh, it's, it's, you probably two or three days ago, you probably talked about the, uh, the year of Jubilee, mm-hmm. uh, as well. 
Um, so, so that wealth was redistributed, but it wasn't distributed in some kind of top-down Marxist way, um, but rather um, it, it, it was dynamic. It moved about among people, but without it, uh, without it uh, gathering too much in one place and other parts being uh, de- just deprived, if you will. Um, and really, it, when when you start seeing the wisdom behind uh, the the law of Moses here, it, you you really see the kindness of the Lord. Uh, and of course, we don't. It, the, the people of Israel never really kept these laws very well, which is why they and why all people need a savior. But that doesn't mean that the laws are bad. They were really very good, and they were. And this is where I reflect on one particular moment. This was when I was in Wisconsin. I know I've shared this before on the program. Is I was visiting a, a, a lady who's still with us today in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and and she was going through cancer treatment. She was a wonderful mm-hmm. theologian. I learned a lot from her, actually, those first four years. And she was reading... Um, the Today's Light Bible, which is a two-year reading program that we have. And mm-hmm. and she was reading that, and she was going through Leviticus and went to visit her in her home. And she would she was not reacting well to the chemo, but she uh-huh. um, was still able to read. And she was reading it, and she just said this. You know what, Pastor? I've been reading through Leviticus and the Torah, and it just makes me more grateful for all that Jesus did for me. Which really struck struck home to what you've been talking about, is this understanding of the fulfillment of everything. And clearly she knew the book of Hebrews. <laughs> she said that, because yeah. you know, how could she not? Right. But I find it right. interesting that the law can bring us to despair, mm-hmm. and the law ultimately brings us to the comfort that we have when we realize the fulfillment of the law was so grotesque that God had yeah. to go through what he had to go through. So give me some of your and, thoughts on, on how this we, relates to us today. Yeah. So um, in Hebrews, we, we read that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Well, what are our weaknesses? Our weaknesses are our failure to obey the law. Mm. Right? Uh, but and and all of our failures to obey the law, we call that sin, and sin brings death. So he sympathizes with our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And so the writer of the Hebrews then goes on to say, "Well, then let us uh, let us then enter with confidence into the holy places." Uh, which is stunning because in Leviticus, only the high priest could do that. But now we can do that. We can walk right in because we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses, uh, but that he functioned as a high priest and still does, yet without sin. Indeed, uh, um, John, in 1 John chapter 2, 
says that we have an advocate for the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so that, that is a, a component of priestly activity, that, that he goes before God and he makes intercession uh, for us. You know, the, the language of First John is one of, of him being a defense attorney, but really it comes from his priestly office that we read about so much in Hebrews and that is foreshadowed in, in Leviticus. So here's here's the here's a question as you say that let us enter with confidence the holy places. How do we do that mm-hmm. nowadays? Like I mean that that sounds it sounds really good. Um but how do we do that? Can you give us some practical advice to 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 me and our listeners? Right. Well, uh, that's from Hebrews chapter 10. And uh and the language is really about the divine service. Um so uh, here, let me, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, see, that's Leviticus language all the way, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, again, more Leviticus language, that is through his flesh, so he evidently is the victim, the sacrificial victim, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, again, that's Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance with, uh, of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Oh my, that's, that's straight out of uh, uh, chapter 16 of Leviticus. Yeah. All of that washing that goes on. And, 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 and then the couple, actually chapters 13 and 14, the leprosy chapters as well. All the washing that goes on and the pure water is the water of baptism into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on, let us hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then here's the divine service stuff. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, you can't do that if you aren't together, you know, admonishing one another. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, about encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We could go on because there's some some hard language that follows that, but but, but my point is uh, this is how you enter. You enter uh, you enter by baptism and into the divine service, and then you're there. You are in the holiest place. That's why. We start our service with an invocation of the name. And it's why we end it with the blessing that, uh, that, that uh, the Lord gave to Aaron and his sons from Numbers chapter 6, that we call the benediction. Mm. It, it's an, an envelope, if you will. Uh, the moment that name is uttered and God's people are gathered, this now is a holy place. And the things that are going on here are holy. Um, and then holiness leaves uh, at the end of the service. It goes out with the priesthood. All those people who are clothed with Christ in baptism are our priesthood going out into the world and uh, and making intercession for the world and and speaking the word of God as a priest to the world, uh, calling to repentance. As I said. Um... You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
Pastor, that is our time. Um, Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton of St. John Lutheran Church in Forest Park, Illinois, giving us God's strong word, reviewing God's love in Leviticus. Pastor Payton, thank you for the gifts. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, we did it. <laughs> we made it through Leviticus. I've never studied through Leviticus, um, like in a Bible study, uh, done it, read it myself, but we did it. And what strikes me is this book is simple. Be holy as the Lord is holy. As Pastor Payton said to us so well, this holiness comes to us in the divine service. Our Lord is divine, and he serves us with his gifts. At offerings, ceremonial laws, moral laws, civil laws, Sabbath years, mercy for the poor. What does this all point us to? The law showing us our sin and the gospel showing us our Savior. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.